0: You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Hi, I'm Deb. I'm here with my husband, Mike, the host of Mike Seminary and Friends. And we are doing a really fun show this week. I guess I shouldn't say we. You're the one that talked to him. Yes, that's correct. I did. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I only edit it. And it's Jeff (gasps) Colhane. The voice of the bison. Soon to be former voice of the bison and bison athletics. He's done an amazing job while he was in Fargo. He's off to a wonderful opportunity down in Florida. And I had just the pleasure visiting with him. And of course, we had lots of pleasures listening to him as we go back and forth from Fargo to Bismarck. We don't have to do that anymore. So it's Jeff Colhane. Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. Well, for those of you that have been listening to me long enough, you know that in our family, being fans of NDSU and specifically Bison sports is a pretty big deal. It runs in the family. I won't even go through the whole list, but there's a lot of connections there. When you live in Bismarck and you go to virtually every home game and you've had the luxury of leaving some of those games a little early because the score is sometimes in your favor um, and you want to get home before it's real dark, you get to listen to Bison on the radio. That means you get to listen to Jeff Colhane, Phil Hansen, and then that whole crew. And they are something pretty special. So we've had the luxury of doing that for quite a while because the Bison, for for all practical purposes, lead most of those games, and we get to leave a little early. So it is a great treat for me and a pleasure to have on Mike seminary and friends, Jeff Colhane, not only the voice of the Bison, but he's also the program director at Bison 1660 in Fargo, which is a flagship station for NDSU Athletics. And I'm a big fan, Jeff Colhane. Welcome to Mike Seminary and friends. It's great to see you. How are you?
1: Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the kind words to start things off and fire up to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, I've been a big fan. I think it's you're going into your seventh year. It doesn't it doesn't see, does it seem like seven to you? Because it doesn't to me.
1: No, it doesn't. I mean, it's been it, we blinked and here we are. You know, year seven, and that even includes the the odd pandemic year and playing a spring college football season, which I hope I think we all hope we never have to do again. And so no, it's it has been um, one fun journey to say the least, and you know, one I'm I'm really honored to be a part of. And, you know, being able to work with the the great people at NDSU, amazing coaches, administrators, student athletes, a lot of them I call friends, and obviously to work with a guy like Phil Hansen, who's football IQ is uh, unmatched. And uh, a guy like Cole Jurek as well on our sidelines, who does just an unbelievable job and was a great player in his own right. Uh, pretty special. And so I'm a lucky guy, and um, it's fun to to be able to to be a part of um, some great programs, NDSU football, basketball, and, and baseball. And some of the others that don't get as much attention, Mike, that certainly deserve their their fair share and then some. It's it's really a special, special place at NDSU in Fargo.
0: Well, we'll talk about some of those. And I don't know why you forgot Grant Olson. You know, he's big enough to pick you up and crush you. And, you know, be talking about his wife was a phenomenal golfer. So mm-hmm. And golf was in our family, too. Morgan Pressel is my brother-in-law's wife's niece. So we, we follow uh, Amy quite a bit. I I I've got to ask you this question right out of the shoots. So Mitchell, South Dakota guy, home of that great corn palace. Do you still have people that kind of don't love you anymore because you're the voice of the Bison, or they that's all water uh, over the bridge and they and they under the bridge and they love you anyway?
1: Oh, trust me. There's a lot of Jacks fans that uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm friends with. Uh, I know that. Uh, once it's marker week, the text messages <laughs> pop up once again uh, on on cue every single year. And, you know, even this last year when SDSU was in the semifinals at Montana State, a lot of Jack's fans were already starting to bang the drum of Bison, Jack, Rabbits down in Frisco. And I, I was hoping it would happen, to be honest with you, Mike. I wanted to see it. Um, I, I thought it would have been a great a great matchup and great for the FCS. Uh, Obviously it didn't happen. And uh, so the Jacks are still trying to uh, reach that, uh, that bison like a level if I can get a little jab in here, but uh, no, I think it's all, it's all good nature. Uh, It's all in good fun. And there's not a whole lot of uh, trash talking that could overcome nine national championships in 11 seasons. So I think we've got uh, the trump card in all of them.
0: I'm not sure if I was just listening to you or my brother-in-law Chad Stark. It sounded so similar.
1: <laughs> well, I've spent a lot of time around Starkey and I think it's so great that a Brookings guy came to Fargo and became one of the all-time great players in the history of the program and is a Hall of Famer and played in the NFL and you know that's the beauty of college athletics is the rivalries, the storylines. Everybody has a game that they remember. And, um, you know, I think what's been fun is as both transition to division one together, that wasn't really a great football, you know, rivalry in the D2 days, but has become that in a big way with the marker game. And so um, that's that's part of the the fun and the competitiveness, uh, I would say, of how everything develops over time.
0: Yeah. I want to go back to, you know, before you came to Fargo. And this and maybe maybe more because I have radio in my background and, and I've always loved play by play guys in sports and sports. I love them. when you were growing up in mitchell did did you know in high school that this was your calling, you wanted to be involved in play by play sports, or did you want to play sports or, or radio How did that work for you in high school?
1: Yeah, I love sports and played them I mean we were fan- I mean we were nuts, we were fanatics, you know. Uh, from as, as far back as I can remember, uh, sports was number one in our household. And my family was actually in broadcasting. You know, I had an uncle that was in TV and radio in South Dakota. My dad did some radio as well, public address announcing. So I was always just kind of around it and a part of it. And the radio was always on in the morning before he went to school. And so he always listened to um, – I mean, it was – it was so in depth and ingrained that my dad flipped back and forth to the two different stations in town to hear the different segments of the morning shows that he enjoyed. And so we got, you know, we got everything, we got the best of both worlds. And so it was always just, you know, there, it was always a part of the background of everything. And I think I, um, I think I knew, you know, I wanted to be, involved in sports at a really young age, you know, you don't really ever know what you're going to do with the rest of your life, probably um, seriously until a little bit later on. But Mike, there'd be, you know, days when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, and we would do these fake radio broadcast roundtables in the back of our VFW baseball bus on the way to, to games and road trips. And I, I you know, I, I think, about, as I'm thinking about it right now, one of my coaches was part time in radio uh, that coached me in baseball. One of the umpires for our games was one of the radio guys in town. And he caught wind that I was interested and he hired me as a part timer at the radio station there in town when I was 14 years old. Uh, Steve Morgan's his name and uh, K O R N Oldie Station was looking for part-timers and it just, it really grew from there. Um, I think it, it would have been in college for sure that I knew I wanted to do it because I started to get more involved in the sports side uh, in my college years. I started doing play-by-play when I was 19, 20 years old. Um, and I think then, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior in college and I'm at the bar by myself having a beer and I'm writing down my pregame format for my high school game on a bar napkin for what I want to have it flow and look like the night before. So I would say it's just always kind of been a part of it. I never really knew what the end game was. I just knew I loved sports. Uh, I was always around it and and really wanted to be a part of the game uh, as much as I could.
0: Hmm. We have some similarities in our background, you know, obviously radio and when, but before I forget, this has got to be a generational thing. When I'm at the games, I will see guys normally my vintage or older. Quite a few of them they're wearing headsets. I know what they're doing. They're listening to you while they're watching the game, and because that's they grew up with the radio. They grew up listening to play by play, and that's what they're doing. I don't see a lot of younger people doing that because maybe radio is just a little different. I'm not sure. It's not quite as part of your life uh, in a a big way as it was for us. Uh, But be that as it may, I see a lot of uh, folks listening to you while they're at the game. So I moved to Bismarck to run radio stations for a guy. This is a long time ago, Jeff. You probably weren't even alive. And... One of the things I wanted to do to help the station make money is get involved in sports. And KFYR, you know, still big in the sports business. They were really dominant back then. I started a local coach's corner deal on Saturday at a local restaurant, coffee shop really that was in a hotel, invited all the coaches for whatever they were coaching back then on Saturday. It, yeah. it was a great, great event. I learned so much listening to the guys, watching them. We made some money. Then we started broadcasting other sports. I've always been fascinated by -by play-by-play guys. Color too, but play-by-play is different because you have to, first of all, you have to know the game well. You have to know the players really well. And you have to be able to do it real, real quickly. I've always been fascinated with how, rapidly and accurate you get information out while also adding personality and this is leading up to a question how do you prep for that and and if you're going to do it and right now i'm gonna just stick with football so you've got a game coming up next saturday Mm -hmm. or friday whatever the day is how do you prep for that and who did you kind of model as you were growing up and learning this this incredible It's a long, it's a big question, but I'm going (laughs) to ask it that way anyway.
1: Well, the prep one is, is one that's uh, important to me, uh, to be honest with you. And I think it should be important to every, every, really any announcer and the the great ones do it very, very well. And it's different for everybody. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, You've got to figure out what's best for you. And so for me, it's, um, you know, during the season, our game gets over on Saturday evening. I might kind of peek around at other scores. Why the games happen the way they did? Um, you know, I'll watch some games that night if there are. You know, for example, if there our next opponent is playing a night game, I'll try and watch that game. If not, I'll honestly, Sunday I'll take some time and you know I will. Uh, uh, I'll watch the the previous opponent's game and look at who played, who didn't, who got hurt, you know, all of those things. And um, if there's multiple games I can watch, I might go back and watch, you know, a few games from uh, earlier in the season. And, you know, then it's just I've got these these charts that I have, and I I formulate my charts for offense, defense, and special teams. It's easier for for our team as – the season moves along because you you update stats and storylines and trends and all of that. And then most of the work is done on the, uh, the opposition, you know, getting to know their personnel. Um, what are some of the connections between the two programs, coaches? There's all sorts of stuff. I mean, football, you can almost not do enough. I mean, there's so many things that you can try and connect the dots with. And so I'm trying to a little bit every night, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I hope to be done on Friday with everything, and and just kind of let it all marinate on Friday night, and um, you know, and then uh, Saturday game day comes, and uh, I'm I'm usually ready to rock, ready to go, and so um, it it's just kind of an ongoing process, I guess is how I would how I would de- describe it, Mike, and um, I'm always trying to find a little bit more, you know, I'm always trying to ask the extra question. Okay, why did this happen? Um, how did this happen? You think about the history of the game or the matchup. What's fun about it? Um, there's always, I think there's always an extra question you can ask yourself as a play-by-play guy about your game coming up, about what? what's a, I like to call it a nugget. What's a nugget that nobody knows that would make people go, okay, that's really interesting. You can find one of those or a couple of those a game, you know, you're doing it right.
0: Hmm. When, when you say your charts, Jeff, I'm kind of visualizing, maybe not unlike what some of the coaches have. They have this, oh, well, there you go. So you have, uh, here's the, got it. So you've got the guys in the backfield or the wide receivers, their names by number. So you're never looking at the programs we look at. You're always looking at your charts so you can quickly assess what's happening. That's, a,
1: yeah, that's I mean, impressive. I mean, we, we have the, the roster numbers like, like everybody does and maybe for a special teams tackle, if you don't have the guy on your board, um, you'll, you'll refer to that, but I'm lucky enough to have a spotter. Uh, Kevin Kessler does a great job for me in the booth and he'll help me out with, you know, who made the tackle, who caused the fumble, you know, who was the the person that provided, you know, the extra block to spring a big run. And so that helps in a big time way as well. But, hmm. you know, that's probably, I would say you're looking at 10 to 12 hours a week, sometimes more of preparation hmm. for a football game is, is kind of what I put into it. And depending on who we're playing, uh, it's, it's less, it's more. And, you know, usually I have a pretty good idea if, if I'm ready or not. And, um, uh, you know, by the time we get to kickoff, I feel, I feel pretty good about where we're hmm. at and, and how we're going to bring the game to everybody's uh, everybody's ears and their eyes.
0: Kevin's wife's on the field, right?
1: Yeah, Bridget. Yeah, she's our uh, she runs runs our parabolic mic for home games, and that provides you know a, a different uh, you know feel as well with uh, some of the sound. I'm a big Nat sound guy. I like as much crowd noise, and if you can get the the quarterback cadence and the helmets popping, the pads popping, the grunting, I think that. Uh, brings the the listener in and puts them there as well as you possibly can.
0: I used to work with Bridget. She's a rock star. Oh, she's she went great.
1: through. She's the best. Some challenges. She's the best, isn't she? She's so great. I mean, uh, she took a took a hard hit in the ETSU game last fall and just popped up like a champ, like Hunter Lipke. So <laughs> she's uh, she's a rock star indeed. She's aces in my book. Hunter. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> that, well, I probably bring him up later. So you, you after Dakota Wesleyan, did you go directly and work for uh, Husker Sports Network? No, I had opinion? about two and a
1: half years where I worked actually for the, my uncle I talked about earlier, Kevin Culhane. Uh, he owned radio stations in Yankton, South Dakota, and had the uh, broadcasting rights to USD back in the mid-2000s. And so oh. when I got done with college, I went down to work for him. Uh, we had formal interviews and everything, even though it was family, right? And so um, it was a great first first experience, first job. I mean, talk about, you know, cutting your teeth in local radio, um, doing all the little things. I mean, doing everything, right, to uh, learn the business and uh, a lot of long hours. It wasn't an eight to five job or nine to five job by any means, but uh, those experiences really helped kind of get me ready for the next stops in Lincoln and and out in Morgantown as well.
0: So then Husker and Mountaineer, uh, fill me in a little bit. These are two big, big programs. What were your roles there? What did you learn? What were some of the big takeaways from those big programs that you brought with you when you came to Fargo?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, as I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, even at my first full-time opportunity out of college, I think I started to realize that that college athletics was a big deal to me and being around it game days in the fall, hoop season, spring sports kind of got ingrained into me pretty quickly that I wanted to be a part of it. And so you look at what are the great, you know, broadcasting radio networks around the country and the Husker Sports Network. Then it was called the Pinnacle Sports Network right at the top. And um good friend of mine Lane Grendel who I worked with uh, in South Dakota got an opportunity down in Lincoln and we stayed in touch and talked every single day after he left for almost two years and uh, you know it's funny how life happens, you know how you connect with people and and um, how that all works and so they had an opportunity to open up and it was your your basic behind the scenes producer job. I gave up a lot of on-air work because I knew that it was the right move to get your foot in the door at a at a larger place, and so that was back in December of 2007, almost 15 years ago now. And uh, worked at the Husker Sports Network until 2013, and then you know my my role evolved. I knew I kind of had a a feeling that if I worked hard, that more on-air roles would come back to me, and and they certainly did. I mean. I ended up doing Nebraska baseball play by play, Uh, ended up uh, hosting the uh, nightly talk show on the 25 station statewide network sports nightly, Um, created a high school scoreboard show on Friday nights in the fall that our affiliates loved. And so we created content and made our broadcast better and, you know, just being able to connect at that level, the power five level and kind of learn how you go about your business, how you, you know, how, how you just handle and, and deal with, with people at that level and connect with them. And, you know, you're talking about multi hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, big boy business. And so it's, it's sometimes a different little bit different language um, than, than high school sports uh, in a lot of ways. And so i um, just getting that experience. And then, you know, the West Virginia story is, is really one that's a prime example of, you know, if you got an opportunity in life, you better jump on it, no matter the timing. Um, it was August of 2013, Mike, and I loved Lincoln. Uh, I didn't. I was not looking to leave, uh, but I knew I wanted to be at that point. I wanted to be a play-by-play announcer, a number one, doing football, men's basketball, um, baseball, etc. And if I would have stayed in Lincoln, I'd still be doing the same job I was doing 15 years ago. And so. Um, Out of the blue, it was August. The football season was three weeks away. Uh, IMG had just acquired the broadcasting and marketing and media rights at West Virginia University. And um, I had gotten to know, uh, become connected and and, uh, acquainted and now friends with uh, a person, a guy by the name of Chris Ferris, who started the broadcasting side of things with then ISP into IMG. And now it's essentially Learfield is what that company has um, molded into and merged into over the years. And Chris emailed me and said, Hey, I need a, I need a guy that can do a pregame show, postgame show, can do women's basketball, play-by-play baseball, play-by-play, um, you know, knows how to connect with an athletic department and um, kind of be a jack of all trades, Swiss army knife guy. It, it was a role that I thought would lead to a a step further in my career where uh, I'm moving a direction to be a number one guy eventually. And so uh, I literally drove to Morgantown the week of the first football game that we were going to broadcast. And so I got to Morgantown on a Monday. My first broadcast was on Saturday. And so I had to at least sound like I knew what I was talking about with West Virginia football in a matter of four or five days. And so it was a whirlwind and one that I'll never forget. And really, um, if you think you've been challenged, you you haven't been. And there's all sorts of ways you you can obviously be pushed. And that was a prime example for me in a big way.
0: Before I forget, was Bo Pelini at Nebraska when you were there?
1: Correct, yes. In fact, Bo and I came in at the same time. He was the head coach, uh, started in 2008. That was my first football season. He was hired in December of 2007. I was hired in December of 2007. So I sort of kind of merged with his, you know, his career at Nebraska, his coaching staff there, and, um, yeah, I got an up-close look of uh, what they did there over uh, a number of years.
0: (laughs) I have a real good friend that is one of the more successful realtors in Omaha as is his wife and daughter, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he's a big, big Nebraska fan in Kansas city. And he, he has posted some very interesting comments about both. In fact, the whole program right now, he's about as depressed a human being as you can, can be. And I get a kick out of uh, following him. So you're at, you're at West Virginia. you, you, you were at, two FBS programs, big ones. Mm-hmm. How did you find out about the opportunity in Fargo, North Dakota, when you're over in West Virginia?
1: Well, you know, I, my, I actually had some friends that, that uh, called me, um, and uh, I was talking about Lane Grindle before. He's now uh, one of the radio play-by-play men for the Milwaukee Brewers. And he's, you know, we've we've stayed connected since our – first jobs working together back in 2005. And he called me and he said, um, Hey, the, the North Dakota state opportunity is, is available. You know, Scotty, obviously tragically passing away in early 2015. And so, or 2016, excuse me. And so when the, the job was posted, um, I got a phone call and, you know, asked me what I thought. And I, I, I guess I wasn't, uh, not that I wasn't sure, but um, you know, I thought about it. And certainly with NDSU football, um, no matter what part of the country you're in or FBS or FCS level, I mean, you, you attach with that as greatness and excellence right away. And so, just from a broadcasting perspective, um, it made a lot of sense for me, you know, closer to home, upper Midwest, you know, lived in the old NCC growing up. And so, um you know around when the transition was made as well from D2 to Division one and so very very aware and cognizant of of North Dakota State football and the history and in the tradition and at that time it was five straight national championships back after the 2015 uh, season and so that was how I found out about it uh applied for the job and went through the process and you know it was about a about a four, um, week process, I would say, four to six weeks. And um, was told middle of May 2016 that um, the opportunity was mine and shoot, jumped on that thing uh, right away in a hurry. <laughs> did you know Scotty, by the way? I did not. No, I did not. Certainly knew of Scott. Um, you know, uh, mentioned my uncle before, Kevin Colhane. He and Scott obviously crossed paths a lot through the years in the old NCC when Kevin was. Uh, the play-by-play announcer at USD when uh, both were still D two, and so um, no, I, I did not. I never met Scott, but more than aware of uh, Scott's uh, excellence and and legend, and uh, yeah. had had heard the uh, the my oh my phrase uh, quite a bit uh, over the years.
0: I'm, I'm I'm now hearing old baby. I think I've heard that a few times,
1: haven't I? That's one, yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's one of them. I, You know, the the trot in their baby is one the players actually <laughs> like. I've been told um, Jalen Bussey says that to me when I see him. Um, he's been a guy that's been a trot in their baby guy on a 60 or 70 yard touchdown run. And so, um, you know, those were, you know, the, the trot in their baby one was pretty organic. Um, the O baby is really, I wouldn't even call it mine. I think there's just a lot of people that use it, you know, and out of excitement. Um, I get a lot of the going back to the Iowa game from 2016, you know, the horns up, Hawkeyes down, final call. And people think that was the first time I did that. It's actually not true. I, I did say that in the first two games that season, which were also great games, with Charleston Southern and with Eastern Washington in 2016. So, but well, that was, that was the time, you know, that got sprayed all over Sports Center and ESPN radio for about 24 hours. And I think Dan Patrick <laughs> picked it up and Colin <laughs> Cowherd picked it up. And so uh, it kind of took off from there uh, here.
0: Just so you know, the, one of the pleasures of having a, a daughter that was in the Gold Star Marching band, for some of these historic games, and that one in particular, she had her iPhone recording while they're playing, just as that field goal was was made. Yeah. And then, of course, she loses total control of the phone, all the screaming, and it was was really something special. Yeah. I, I want to go back to FBS and FCS. From your perspective, you you have great experience at, at both level programs and this is not to ask the question should the bison go i i'm probably one of those guys that's not on that page yet what what do you think is the most significant difference between the bison at the level that they're at at fcs and the FBS programs you were most familiar with. What, what may be the most significant difference? From
1: football competition on the field, you mean?
0: Yes, on the field.
1: Oh, I would say. I think at the FBS power five level. Um, while we have had the luxury of having Christian Watson over the last five years, and now we're we've seen him morph into a, you know, potential first-round draft pick. I think the biggest difference would be power-five schools have four or five of those guys, yeah, at wide receiver. Um, and there's just, you know, physically b- bigger, faster. Not everywhere, not everywhere, but. Um, depending on who you're looking at, I mean the Alabamas, the Georgias, um, there's a bigger, faster athletic player along the defensive line. Um, and again, that that's not saying that we haven't had those guys, but I don't know of from a collection of of players like that. I don't know if we've had those kinds of guys across the board um, every single season. But you just you just have. Bigger, faster, stronger, I think is the easiest way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this, NDSU's offensive line is power five caliber um, across the board. I mean, that's the one thing I said to Chris Klein in my first summer here watching their, their you know, their fall camp. I just said, your offensive line is looks like big 12 guys right now. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think what has happened, though, is that uh, the The talent, the, the player has improved here at NDSU. And that's not to knock guys in the past. I think there's been, obviously, there's been great talent in years past, but just at different spots, you know, wide receiver having uh, Christian Watson's that NFL Power Five, you know, kind of body that we haven't seen a lot of that kind of an athlete here overall. Uh, we've been blessed with great running backs here. Uh, I think our running back rooms are um depending on the season there's some power five guys in there in a lot of respects i think there's some power five guys in our running back room uh right now at ndsu but ultimately um it's depth you know it's it's kind of it'd be it'd be interesting to see what we could do with 22 more scholarships going from 63 to 85 i think that'd be fascinating to follow um but yeah, I think you just flip on the the T V and you watch the, the college football playoff national championship compared to the FCS national championship, and you're just gonna see a little bit a little bit faster game, a little bit more physical game, and um, you know, a game along the edge up front along the offensive and defensive lines where you have just a little bit more probably burst and and quick twitch guys um yeah. you know than here.
0: Well that was on field and I'm gonna come back to Jim Cramer in a second, um, and specifically a, a comment a friend of mine made about Montana, a fellow from Montana. Then off the field, in terms of facilities, that has to be a factor. Should NDSU give that serious consideration? I'm assuming, and I don't know enough about how that works, but I'm assuming that Generally speaking, when you're at an FBS level, you're going to have a significantly larger facility. Is for, at least for football, is that
1: accurate? Well, you need it's just money. You know your budget. You know there are football programs that have triple our athletic department's operating budget, depending on where mm-hmm. you're at. And so, just from a financial perspective, it's a completely different world. Um, now, I'll say this. Uh, the way that the NDSU football program um, travels uh, and funds itself, there are a lot of power five characteristics, you know, uh, with, with how they do that. Um, But this new indoor facility that is going up as we speak on the North end of Fargo, over a $50 million facility, Mike, that's a, that's a power five level indoor. I mean, it's um, I've seen some, some diagrams, some videos, some kind of 3D tours, if you will. And I've been in two indoor, well, not two, I've been in many indoors, but um, it is very similar to Nebraska's indoor that I've been in. And it's better than the indoor that West Virginia had when I was Mm. out there. So that facility was the one facility that was lacking uh, for Bison football that other programs we're using against it in recruiting. There's nothing that uh, those universities can use now with this, this thing going up. I mean, it's unbelievable. So um, yeah. Facilities wise, you know, you talk about capacity and bigger stadiums, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. It's, it's different. Yeah. You, know, you have the bigger, the bigger stadiums overall, but um, when you think about the move up, now with this indoor, I don't think there is. I don't think you got to build a brand new stadium. Uh, I don't think you need to, you know, create this 40000 seat facility for NDSU football. I think you can do some things to the Fargo Dome down the road to, you know, renovate it and modernize it a little bit when that time comes. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, I think you can do what uh, you need to do with the football only move to the FBS. And uh, you have what you need in place from a facility standpoint for the most part.
0: I want to go back to Jim Cramer. Uh, A friend of mine who wanted to put some money on that game uh, in Frisco last uh, January was curious afterwards. He said, he called me up. He said, Mike, yeah, we lost our quarterback, but I don't think it was going to make a real big difference. Your, your offense of a defensive line Absolutely had their way with us. They were like NFL type guys. And he asked me, how, um, and they're always kind of like that. How, how do you do that with the changing of coaches? And I said, Well, there's this guy named Jim Kramer. This he's not the only reason, but in terms of the last 10-11 years, he's the common thread yeah. between strength and conditioning, and he takes he's he's one of the guys, and
1: Um, He, he's one of the best. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's really no other way to put it. Um, He belongs in the conversation and I don't know the strength world or the, the people in it. You know, I know some of the names, but um, Jim Cramer has developed this blueprint for how we want to play football here. That is so, it's so uncanny how it aligns with the style of play and the, I mean, Mike, he's, he's a huge piece in recruiting as well, because he can look at body types and tell our coaches, yes, we can put 30, 40 pounds on that kid. Yeah. That kid could probably play. He's a tight end. And we can put him at tackle and get him up to 295. You know, it's more than just weights and, you know, nutrition. I mean, he is a guy that is a big part of recruiting as well. And so there's not many string guys like that out there. And so, Um, he has got this to an absolute science. And when you have that and you have an understanding of the expectation as a player in that room, and then, you know, you, you know how you want to play it becomes part of the culture centerpiece of, of your program. And he is uh, as I'll tell you, uh, there, there's a reason why, We've been able to have the same success over the years. And he is as big of a, a factor into those reasons uh, because of how he go- goes about his business and the job that he does.
0: Yeah. Man, let's switch gears a little bit because NDSU and you now Division One. it isn't just about football. And, and obviously, that's been a remarkable story the football but they're very good in basketball, baseball, softball, track, golf as as you are now in Fargo for seven years do, do, is there any program that has kind of a weakness I I don't see it they're they're good in everything.
1: I, I don't no I mean I think every the expectation is excellence. At NDSU. And that doesn't mean every program has had championship seasons every single year, but um, each program has their own kind of, this is how we do things. They have their own process, if you will. I think there's a lot of um, exchanging of ideas from coaches within the department. They lean on each other and, and pick each other's brains on, hey, you know, we've tried this. What do you think about this? You know, what do you guys do? And so I think that's pretty special and, and pretty important. There's obviously a ton of support administratively from Matt Larson, Todd Phelps, the entire staff that you, you don't see behind the scenes, right? I mean, it's a big family. It's a big operation. And so, you know, and and, and President Dean Brashani has been someone that has also um, supported as much as he could and that's very very influential as well and now we have a new president coming in from Kansas and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what uh his stamp will be with athletics down the road so um, it's again special place to be mike and i think when you're here too you have to find your niche a little bit because we're you know it's north of normal right i mean we're we're getting <laughs> 3 4 feet of snow in april like it's just it's just a little bit different but Um, every coach always says in recruiting, you just got to come here. You just got to, you got to get here to understand. And I think every coach that says, look, if I can get said student athlete, male or female in the building, um, we feel pretty good about what they'll, you know, what we have to offer them. And I think that is also uh, pretty cool when you think about
0: it. Wait, now just a minute. How much snow did you get the past week?
1: We didn't get any. We're lucky. You guys got smacked.
0: I'm looking out the window and they're just finishing the gondola lift that I had contracted so I can charge 75 bucks a head for ski pass. There's not much snow out there.
1: Yeah. How you guys, I tell you, um, we were thinking of you uh, in a big time way. We got lucky. We got really lucky in Fargo, big time.
0: Well, that changes for us uh, coming up. We are building a home in West Fargo and so I'm going to have to be one of those guys that's not wearing a headset in in, in the dome Appreciate to listen it. to you guys. Love it. It, it. That'll happen. I'm curious about this, Jeff, and it, this this shouldn't have surprised me at all. I guess it doesn't, as I listen to you during games and I listen to your prep and the, that this radio background. I just get it because radio is different than almost any other form of presentation when it comes to the ability to tell stories and be colorful and be excited and deliver information about sports. It's where so many great people have cut their teeth and that's what you did. I'm curious what your sense is uh, because one of the things I'm seeing now, especially in smaller communities, they're taking advantage of streaming capabilities where there, there isn't a, a radio station anymore in their town and there isn't a TV station close. So young kids at the high school, they're putting their own deal together. They're streaming it out there. And they have a worldwide audience. Are you seeing some, if you have the time to do that, are you seeing some of this play out in front of you and seeing some talent from these small towns? No doubt.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think here locally, a lot of the high schools, to your point, have have created their own broadcast of of their games and kind of taken it on on themselves. And that's kind of, that's the beauty of uh, of the internet, social media, Um, You you don't have to have this, you know, um, I guess I would call it big organizational structure to have a voice in media right now. I mean, um, Facebook Live, uh, if you can, there's all sorts of different services as well, where whether it's, uh, you know, an audio stream, a video stream, um, it, it wasn't. It's not like it used to be, I guess, uh, in, in, you know, decades past. And so I think that's created a lot of opportunities for people. It's allowed people to, you know, young men, young women to to get involved more than maybe they would have before and kind of, you know, cut their teeth on their own, per se, and take it upon themselves to organize some of this stuff. And I think it's great. Yeah, I've seen it and um, have been able to kind of, you know, tune in from, from time to time and You see it on a lot of these college broadcasts as well. I get the ESPN Plus platform, seeing these uh, uh, young uh, students be able to do this. And so I think it's fantastic. I think it's very fun Mm -hmm. to follow and wish I would have had more of that when I was growing up.
0: (laughs) How do you see the uh, presence of the portal, uh, transfer portal, and – the now the ability for players uh, to market themselves uh, earn an income and so how do you see those two things if if any significant change how do you see it changing the game
1: well i think it already has um you know college basketball dealt with the graduate transfer uh 5 6 years ago and that was like whoa wow look at this we can have somebody you know come play for you for one year without penalty. That's unbelievable. Um, And then football got involved in that a little bit. And, um, you know, it it really has changed things and it's not going back to what it was. I think everybody is trying to catch up. And I think we need to have some form of leadership kind of guide us a little bit. Um, And I think guide, student athletes about the transfer portal as well. I don't I don't know if we've educated our young people enough on this. And I'm not saying that it's a coach's fault. That's not the case. But I think there is a a thought that if I go into the portal as a student athlete, that the place I go to next is going to be better than where I was at. And that's not life. I mean that's not that just doesn't happen that way. I mean Last I checked, there were over twelve hundred kids in the portal and college basketball. And even if you get half of those to a um, to a new school, that's over six hundred kids that just lost a scholarship for free education. And that's I think that's sad. I think it's sad. And I'm I'm all for everybody having the freedom to to do their thing and the freedom to make as much money as they possibly can. I think that's all great. Um, but I think we've just kind of thrown this thing out here and rolled it out without really asking why we're doing it and how we can best make it work, you know, for everybody across the board. And so, um, you know, you're having student athletes transfer from one school to the next, and they're at their new school for a week, and then their head coach uh, leaves. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my goodness, you know, like, this is, you know, did I make the right choice? Am Am I doing the right thing? And Um, I tell you, I think it also hurts, Mike, I think it hurts high school student athletes because the more kids that that are moving around at the college level, the less spots there are for high school kids to find a home. And because there is a lot of pressure on coaches to win now in college athletics, um, you're probably more apt at some places to take a transfer, a graduate transfer portal kid than developing kids in your program and, and taking the time to do so. Um, so yeah, I think the game has changed. Uh, I do hope eventually down the road we get some kind of, uh, I don't know if regulation is the right word, but maybe organization of, of both sides of it and, and, uh, be fascinated to see where it all goes here in the coming, coming months and the coming years.
0: You know, one thing I, I like how you covered that, Jeff, I think one thing for young, ambitious, um, athletes that, in their minds, they they have the talent to play. Listen, in this case, football. They have the, plan, the talent to play Sundays after they leave college. And you're thinking that if I get to that that school over there, I'm going to maybe have a better shot of having people see me and my skills. I I, I would encourage you maybe take pause and say, you know, now that you can market yourself differently than you could a couple of years ago, now that you have TikTok. Instagram, you have all these ways to market yourself and you can make money doing it. Who's to say staying put isn't probably a good place for you, especially if you're if you in a program like NDSU Bison. I mean, my goodness, there are very few like that, especially at the FCS level, much less at the FPS level. So use those tools that are already available to you and maybe not use the portal for what you think is the, the best move, at least in your opinion. That That's my true sense.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think there's positives to it as well. You know, um, for example, a guy like Oscar Shibway at Kentucky, who's the player of the year last season, 99 times out of 100 without NIL, he's going to the NBA. Well, because he's at Kentucky and because he's, uh, you know, a, a good young person and very marketable and a great player, they're saying he's going to make $2 million at Kentucky in NIL money. And so he decides to come back. And that's a great thing for he and his family. And that's a great thing for college basketball, to be honest. You want to have more of the the veteran, you know, four- and five-year guys and not the one-and-dones, and duns, and we are trying to figure out, you know, who some of these new players are. The problem is is we're trying to figure out which where these players are playing now, and that's kind of the tough part for fans, I think, to keep up with. So – um, yeah, you know, the, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And if you're going to make a move, you know, make sure you cover your bases. And it's easy for us to say, as old guys, right? I mean, it seems like it would make a, a whole lot of sense. But um, I know where I was at when I was 18 to 22, 23 years old. I thought I had it all figured out. So it's everybody's trying to get a, 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 their arms around it, including sure. all of us in our, you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s right now.
0: Jeff, you technically have two full time jobs. And that's not even factoring in family. So yeah. you have three, you're the program director at 1660. You're the voice of the Bison, and between football and basketball, you know six months of the year plus. You are you're putting in a lot of time prepping for games. How do you how do you balance all that with with all the other responsibilities you have?
1: I have a great wife at home. I'll I'll start there. Uh, she's amazing. Um, We have a son who's going to turn three in June. His name is Alexander and we're expecting another um, in July. And so my wife, Sarah is, you know, she, she understands. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, When we met, I told her that, Hey, this is what I love to do. This is kind of how it works. If you're not in with that, you know, that's okay. And so we had that conversation very early on in our relationship and, uh, she has been just unbelievable, so supportive of of this and of my career. So that that's where it starts. Number one, I mean, one hundred and ten percent. And so when you have that, and and you know, a home life where um, you have someone in your corner that can understand your passions and your dreams and all of those things, it you know, it kind of makes it a team thing. You know, you kind of do it. You're, you're doing it for them. You're doing it for your parents, her parents, you know, um, and, and your entire family. And and so and the other part is, you know, I think when you get into something like this, there is a respect that you have to have for people that have done it before you. And respect that you have to have for the men and women that are doing it now, you know, and kind of a responsibility in a lot of ways. And so uh, there's no tougher critic of me than me. I'm um, probably, you know, growing up, I was the, the kid that was probably the the sore loser that every, every you know, the parents looked at and said, well, what's wrong with that kid, right? And so um, I think it kind of starts with, with all of that, you know, a combination of all those things in my mind. And, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it the right way. And you got to keep getting better at it and you got to keep doing it. Uh, the way it's supposed to be done. And so I, you know, for everybody, it's different. I only know, you know, one way how to do it. And and that is, you know, for me, it's worked uh, so far. And uh, you got to be organized. I won't show you my office. I'm not the most clean guy, I would say, but I know where everything's at and I know where it needs to go. And and, and you got to have great people around you. We got a great staff here. I mean, you know, Keith Brake, Andy Rickoff at Pison 1660 have been just huge for me making my life easier and so many others uh, around our building. We've got great local ownership uh, as well that really provides us with everything we need. So it's not just, you know, it's, it's truly a collection of people that make it work that make it go.
0: Yeah. Well, by the way, congratulations on the upcoming new arrival Thank and you. Alexander and the dog pepper and your bride, Sarah, appreciate you, Sarah, for uh, being willing to share Jeff with us so much. Cause I, I, I'm going to assume I know somewhat about what that's like, because um, when you have two full time jobs, you got you, you got a lot of uh, responsibilities. Yeah. What's the one thing we should know about Jeff Colhane, Jeff, that we might
1: not know about you? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm probably. As I'm thinking about this, probably more of an emotional person than I that I show that I lead on. Um, you know, just guy that loves movies, you know, watching a movie with his family or a son, uh, probably I'm sure my wife would tell you, I probably cry watching movies more so than any other person. I don't know why. I think I just have an appreciation for the, the work and the, uh, the, the art, I guess, of it, you know, um, the sacrifice, you know, the dedication that those people put into those types of performances, I guess. That's kind of a weird answer. But, um, yeah, I, I just, um, you know, I think I appreciate people that work hard, that do things the right way. And, you know, you try to, you try to do it the right way every day. And, and uh, try and be a good person uh, along the way as much as you can to everyone out there.
0: Jeff, I still cry when I watch Rudy. <laughs> I still cry when I watch field of dreams. Yeah. By, by the way, have you seen 12 mighty orphans?
1: I have not seen 12 mighty orphans. Y- no. You
0: have got to watch that movie. You, you will learn something about football. Yeah. And this is based on actual facts. Okay. You will learn something about football. You get, it. so that's how that happened. And you'll cry. Okay. It is really, it's all about football and orphan kids. Yeah, Jeff, thanks so much for for two things. One, not holding it against me that my daughter was part of the Gold Star Marching Band that gave you a wonderful welcome to the city of Fargo just a few years ago, oh, early yeah. in the morning with, uh, you know, some music. Appreciate that.
1: It's one of the all-time great pranks in the history of <laughs> pranks. Chris Hansen, <laughs> shout out to my guy here. That was, that was unbelievable. I'm glad she was there.
0: Yeah. And thank you for joining me. Gosh, it just, has been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the season, both football and basketball. And I'm just glad you're doing what you're doing. You, you have a great team. You're a great leader and uh, you're, you're great for not just, uh, but you're, you're great for the state of North Dakota. Appreciate you a lot, Jeff.
1: Thank you, Mike. It was great talking to you. And, uh, Have me back on any time. I'd love to be back.
0: All right, thanks.